Welcome to the Stay Informed Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Oshowitz. My co-host, Jessica, is sitting this one out because today I'm joined by a very special guest, Tyler Gray from LCT. On today's episode, Tyler and I are going to discuss the auto finance regulatory landscape, including recent actions by the FTC and the CFPB. So, hey, Tyler, welcome to the show. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hey, Tom. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks, thanks for having me. So, you know, just, just a little bit about myself. You know, I fell into the car industry when I was a younger man selling cars and doing vehicle finance at a dealership and, you know, made the jump over the technology side and have never really looked back. It's great. So I've done everything from, you know, sell LOSs, core systems, data analytics, point of sell, and all of that has really culminated to where I'm at today with LCT, where, you know, we help lenders navigate a, a very nuanced and niche part of regulatory compliance, which is these product cancellations and refunds. And how you can stay off the radar with the big regulators, which is pretty important. Well, hey, what an amazing background. And uh, before we put your your knowledge of cars to the test, uh, we, tip, we typically have a little um, game we play where we ask uh, our guests six questions just to warm you up. Uh, they're really easy, really simple. Um, are you ready? Yeah, absolutely. Let's go. Excited. Hey, we'll start with an easy one. Coffee or tea? Ooh, I'm a sales guy, so coffee. Coffee all day, the most caffeine content I can get. Any given moment, hands down, easy. Awesome. And what would you say is your best soft skill? Ooh, uh, yeah, that's that's a good one. Um, I would, what I would say is my best soft skill. I would I would hope would be my communication skills and my decision making and problem solving. You know, as a salesperson, as a revenue generator, those are pretty important. So uh, that's what I would say, and I hope my my peers would say the same. Uh, I know you're pushing the pedal to the metal on sales, but if you have the time, the last book you read for business or pleasure? Yeah, well, I think I think it relates to sales, right? So uh, the War of Art, right, by Pressfield. Uh, it's about you know content writing, pushing through your blocks. You know, as a as a salesperson, you got to be putting content out there. You got to be formulating that that narrative to, to tell your story. And then, you know, probably for pleasure, you know, just coming off the hills of of. Christmas. It was probably a Lego manual for my kids, which well, is like, it's like, like the bane of my existence. Yeah, it's absolutely. So, you know, back to the basics, as they say, um, well, yeah. going from the basic to the complex, um, how do you use AI in your own life? Ooh, yeah. So, uh, great question. Um, you know, I think more professionally speaking, the, what AI has really kind of help close the gap on is some of this, these configuration changes that need to happen, you know, to solve client issues, to solve client problems. So I've used things like chat GPT to help me sort out formulas, things like that. I am in no way, shape or form, a, you know, sales engineer or solutions engineer, but it's really closed that gap and actually allowed me to not be reliant on my engineering team as much as I've needed to in the past. So it's actually been really good. Um, setting aside our own products, what do you think has been the most important FinTech or tech innovation? What has been the most important fintech or tech innovation? Wow, I mean, the advent of AI in, in the way that is going to, to intersect with the automotive industry, the fintech industry, it, it's, it's, I don't know if it's been developed yet, but it's gonna come from there. I mean, if you think about it, automotive fintech exists because there's consumers and there's collateral, right? People need to buy cars. They need loans, technology exists to expedite and make that process easier. So I think when, as AI continues to build and it impacts the vehicle, making vehicles more safe, making them more reliable, 
you know, reducing car accidents, helping traffic flow patterns. There's so many pull throughs on that. I think it'll be there. I don't know if we've necessarily had the, the biggest FinTech or tech innovation just yet in this side of the market, but I think it's coming and it'll be driven by, by AI for sure. You know, Andrew Ng called AI the new form of electricity. You know, that's yep. the type of impact uh, that it's going to have. And it's kind of cool to think that the best is yet to come from what you're saying, that the biggest innovation yeah. is something we haven't even seen yet. Yeah, I mean, imagine if we could get, you know, autonomous driving to a point where there's no traffic. What would that do, right? Less car wrecks, like I said, I mean, it's, I think it's coming. And uh, besides knowing how to build Legos, more effectively, <laughs> um, what advice would you give to your younger self? Uh, invest in building more Legos, get better at it, because it's going to take right. a lot of time. Um, no, yeah, I think, gosh, that's that's a good question. I think what I would tell my younger self is what I think maybe I'd want to hear today, which is stay the course, <laughs> keep going. It, it works out and it works out well. So keep doing what you're doing. Awesome. Hey, well, let's now that we've done the interest, let's get down to what folks are here to listen for. Um, you know, let's set the stage. There's really been an uptick in the last couple of years and regulator focus on add-on products, you know, both in the CFPB perspective and at the FTC. Just to give you a quick highlight, uh, for just one company in 2022, there was a $1 billion payout that they had to pay to consumers and hundreds of millions of penalties for incorrectly applying borrow payments to loans, improperly charging fees, wrongfully repossessing vehicles. Um, the FTC has been pursuing enforcement actions against dealers. What's going on here in the add-on product space? What, what What's driving all this activity, you think? Yeah, no, it's a good, it's a good question. You know, I mean, obviously, you know, your federal regulators have over the past couple of years really started digging into this. Your state regulators have really been digging into this. And now you got, you know, and that's just on the lending side, right? That's just what the lenders are having to contend with. And then you obviously have the FTC now rolling out some some new requirements and then things like that through the cars rule, right? Um, on the dealer. So what what has really been driving this? I think if you if we take a step back and look at it, what I think is probably driving it is what drives every kind of new issue that comes up in the market is that at some point the regulators have maybe realized that lenders don't necessarily have the processes or controls in place around a specific function that they are expecting to meet, you know, a state law or, or federal law or federal expectations. And then as they begin to pull on that thread, right, they realize it's it's a much bigger issue. So I think, you know, the CFPB, like I said, they've, they've definitely woken up to this add-on product, ancillary product thing. They have been looking at this, but there's a whole lot of other hosts of issues that they've really been looking at. I mean, it's repossessions. I mean, gosh, they're looking at that real heavy. Credit Bureau reporting on repossession deficiency balances. I mean, they're looking at a lot of that stuff right now. It just, it expands so much farther beyond just product cancellations and, and refunds. Well, you know, just, that brings up an interesting thought. You know, I think part of what the CFPB uh, is focusing on, on is obviously consumer protection, right? They're trying yep. to make sure that consumers are safe. And you and I were just talking before this conversation about how diverse and complex the ancillary product market is. And, you mm -hmm. know, to what degree do you think that the fact that there are so many products out there, there are so many aspects to it that makes it this just a hard market for consumers to understand. And maybe that's why the CFPB leans in. I'm just curious from your perspective, you know, is there something about the market itself which is causing it or is it more just a policy thing from the CFPB? Yeah, I think I think it is complex. I mean, if you if you think about it, you know, the lender in the typical indirect sales experience, automotive buying experience, the lender is not selling these products to the consumer. It's the dealer that is selling these products to the consumer. And I mean, how many dealers are there in the in the United States? 
there's a whole bunch. And then you think about all the endless providers and all the different products and, you know, programs that they have out there on top of that. And, you know, so as the dealer is, is doing this and then the lender takes assignment of that individual contract, you know, they could have any host of what these products are inside of that financing contract. These contracts might have different terms and conditions and, you know, different things that the consumer is entitled to. And so, you know, thinking about the car buying experience, when you're buying that car, you're signing 20 pieces of paper. You're not taking the time to read every single thing. So I think what the regulators have opened up to is like, yeah, there's a lot of variety of these products and programs out there. They've come out and said, listen, not all of these programs deliver any kind of benefit. And so like, yeah, we need to, you know, kind of watch out for the consumers in this area um, and, and help kind of make sure that what is being sold to the consumers is a product of value and a product that does provide some kind of benefit to them. Um, and, you know, again, I think that's been driven by, by need that there probably are some products out there that have not delivered value to the consumers or the borrowers. They complain and, you know, the regulators begin to look at it and start to, to regulate to that point. You know, the complexity issue hits on both sides. It's both complex for the consumer, but it's also complex for the administrator of these programs. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, what type of activities from the lender or dealer side are drawing such ire from the CFPB or from the regulators? What's getting folks into trouble? Well, I mean, I think I think the the humorous, cynical side of me would be that, hey, you're a lender, or a dealer, so you're already going into the conversation with one one strike against you here. But, uh, you know, I think on the on the lending side, you know, I would kind of define it as as, again, what we see more broadly kind of put out there, which is a lack of processes and controls. You have got to as a lender when you're being questioned about you know, how are you managing this? How are you managing that? How are you ensuring it is compliant? You've got to be able to walk them through your process. It needs to be logical, right? It can't be, well, you know, Mac in accounting does this part, Joan in servicing does all of this. There's two Excel spreadsheets. We roll it up into the access database and then it goes over to this other department. It gets confusing. You've got to tell the story in a way that's, that's logical. And then you got to be able to demonstrate you have the controls on top of that to manage the things that don't necessarily fit in that perfect little compliance box. You know, in, in auto loan servicing, especially in, you know, the product add-on space, there's a lot of different weird things that can happen. You know, sometimes a consumer is not entitled to a refund, you know, because they, you know, use the policy or something. Again, it comes down to those terms and conditions in that addendum. And so the the lenders are have been kind of soft on their their processes and controls. And in that and the regulators have picked up on it so i think that's a great question or comment tyler and i just want to mm -hmm. add you know one thing that i think people often don't think about when they think about ai and other technology is that it applies to all the entities in the ecosystem so just while the uh you know our our lenders and our dealer partners are um getting this technology guess what so are the regulators and so their ability to monitor to check to see if particular um things are being done has improved right so to some degree, mm -hmm. the bar is higher, right? So, you That's know, right. having a process in place, knowing that you're monitoring refunds or repossessions properly, is now something they're gonna be able to check where they may not have been able to check before. So I'm just curious, mm -hmm. given this, I mean, do you think this focus on these type of uh, reimbursements is a flash in the pan or is this the new normal in your view? 
So yeah, I, I don't think it's a flash in the pan. I think this is something lenders are going to have to deal with um, going forward. And I think there's a lot of things that I think lenders are going to have to deal with around just add-on fees in general. You know, junk fees has been getting a lot of attention lately. Um, that's going to be something lenders are always going to have to contend with. Does it does it heat up and does it cool down in the market? Sure, I'm sure it does. But you know, you have you know the CFPB today really looking at these add-on fees very directly, very you know pointedly and aggressively. Certainly, the states are looking at it too. So you know, even if let's say you have a change of administration, you have a change in leadership at the CFPB, whatever be the case, lenders are still going to have to contend with the states. And there's 50 states, and they could all potentially fall in different areas on this. So this is going to be something they have to deal with. Um, you know, like like I always say, we we like gentle rolling hills. We don't like peaks and valleys <laughs> when right, it comes absolutely. to requirements because it makes it very difficult to lend and it translates into those consumer complaints and just all the other headaches that come along with it. Uh, just sort of a, a, a bit sort of a, a chronological question. Say five years ago, a lender got some sort of ancillary product contract and what they did with it and what they're doing today. What do you think the big difference is, you know, in terms of expectations? Yeah, I mean, gosh, even even five years ago, to be honest with you, we were kind of starting to hear about this thing from the CFPB where they're asking about these processes. Um, but even, you know, so let's say going back five years ago, I think lenders by and large probably weren't really pursuing the refunds on behalf of the consumers in the event of an early termination of the loan, like due to payoff, right? That's really where we've seen the, the biggest increase in, in the regulators' expectations in that area. Uh, we're hearing back from lenders, you know, all the time. Like, hey, I've never been questioned on this before, but all of a sudden it has come up and they're digging into it. They're trying to figure out how we do this. I've also heard back from lenders that say, look, you know, maybe we operate in two different states. One state has hard codified laws on this that require us to refund. State B does not. So we refund in state A. Well, then the federal, you know, the CFPB comes in and says, no, you really should be doing it everywhere you operate because now you're treating people differently based on where they live. Just a, a thought on that. I'm just wondering, like, you know, some of these contracts can run numbers of pages long. And mm -hmm. I, I think maybe um, I'm going to throw a hypothesis out that you can kick it down the road or tell me what you think. But it used to be, I think, that a little bit like you'd have these contracts and you sort of defer to the other party to handle it. But now there's a sense mm -hmm. of accountability. You have to know what's in this provisions. You know how they impact consumers. There's a much higher sense that you have to be in charge of the agreements right. that are going through your doors. I'm, any Any feedback on that? Thought. Oh, that's, I mean, that's absolutely right. I mean, you know, now if you think about it, you know, if you're a lender and, and you're having to onboard these new processes to monitor these payoffs and these, these product cancellations, it's not just, hey, we got to facilitate this process. It's, hey, what's the state max cancellation fee? Right. How are we managing that? What what requirements do we have from a timeline perspective? And those are all in those contract documents, typically. Right. What the cancellation fee is and all that stuff. Um, does the lender get every single document that's attached to that product addendum? I don't know. Sometimes in those funding packages, it's page one. Right. And it has that that information they need to fund the loan, but it doesn't have page two, three and four on it. So, you know, it's you know, might be a requirement that lenders get all the docs, you know, going forward and, and put right. that data. Right. Together, but they've they've got to i mean it, it's it's difficult to manage because of the requirements being put upon them but nevertheless they got to manage to it you make a great point about going back to the AI point that now there's because of ai there's the ability if you have a, a document yeah. you only have the first page you have the ability you know companies like informed and others have the ability to figure out what's in the rest of the document because you have That's libraries right. in place and so there are new value-added abilities that 
um, can be provided to lenders to to make their um, their documents whole. Um, and I want to take advantage of here Tyler, for a second, which is you have something which I know all the lenders and our audience are, would be jealous of, which is you talk to everybody, right? You're talking to people right. across the market. What insights can you share about where lenders are running into trouble and you know what problems regulators are finding as you talk to folks as you walk through the industry? Yep. So we kind of hit on that a little bit already. It's going to be those lack of processes and controls, or you have really soft processes and, and virtually no controls, um, right. you know, in that area. This little thing with product cancellations, add-on management, this is a really niche area of loan servicing. This isn't like, you know, SCRA and, and some of these bigger compliance issues that, you know, people are really well versed in. This is more nuanced and far more niche. So it's a lot more difficult to find those subject matter experts who can go in and say, look, this is how you do this, guys. It's this easy. Uh, it appears deceptively easy, but it's not. It gets really, really complex once you really start going down the rabbit hole. Um, so really what we see is, is lenders needing that process. They need to have that kind of explained to them, spelled out what they really need and what would be probably the single best practice I would uh, impress upon a lender is that you need a single system of record and a single system of facilitation for this whole process. At the end of the day, you know, whatever your process looks like, it needs to all be retained in one place. It's very difficult to talk to a regulator when you have three, four, five Excel spreadsheets, <laughs> you've got all this other stuff spread out all over the place and they need to use automation and AI as that business accelerator. So they're not adding to their business units, all that staff and all that overhead. I mean, if you do this the right way and implement the right technology, right? Utilize AI to help you extract that data out of your images, out of your cores, and then use the right tools to fully automate your cancellations and refunds, and then actually have the controls on top to manage the outliers. You can tell that story very easily and very coherently to a regulator. Um, you know, he who tells the best story is going to win. The lender is going to tell a story or the regulator is going to tell you a story. But at the end of the day, someone's got to win it. So so when people reach out to you, are, 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 what's sort of the mix of people who are like, guess what? I see the value up front. I want to have the system mm -hmm. in place. So when a problem comes, I'm ready versus, oh, no, I'm in trouble. I need right. To right now, what, what's the mix right now? Are people, is it more reactive yeah. or are people being more proactive these days? Yeah, it's it's been interesting. It's kind of changed a little bit every year. You know, definitely when when we, you know, got into the market, everybody was, ah, we'll worry about that when it comes up. We'll be a little more reactive, right? And you think about the auto lending world, your captives, your, your banks, your credit unions, your finance companies, they all have different risk tolerances and different ways they like to operate and all that stuff. So. Um, definitely see people being moved more to being proactive. And then we see some of those reactive people coming back and being like, yeah, we got beat up a little bit. And now we have some things we need to go back and, and correct. Corrective action, I'll tell you right now, is a lot more expensive <laughs> than proactive, both in reputational risk, fines, all the headaches, all the nonsense you have to put up with. So uh, I think lenders have kind of realized that in this area. When I think about some of the amounts of refunds per consumer, you know, whether it's, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's for a repossession or some other, the, the acceleration of the contract. My sense is that these aren't always huge dollar amounts, but going right. to your point about how much it costs in terms of penalties, do you have any sort of like uh, percent? So it seems like it's much, much more expensive, as you said, to actually yeah. fix this. 
Um, any any yeah. sort of ballpark or rule of thumb or anything you could tell our listeners? It's yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely going to vary based upon kind of those regulator findings. You know, I think the um, the state of Colorado actually kind of in kind of has a scoreboard on the money that they have gotten back from lenders in this area and that has had to been pushed to consumers and, and uh, borrowers in the market it's going to vary based on the the lender obviously your your big captives and you people with really big portfolios you know if the average gap refund is 300 bucks and you've got you know 15 20 thousand of these that you got to go back and, and correct it's very expensive um, you know but even for like you know let's say a small lender, even if you have a couple hundred of them that need to be fixed, the reputational damage is is worse. If you're a small right, lender, you can't you yeah. can't stand to have that reputational risk because you're a small company. So I mean, the risk on it just depends, you know, on what we're talking about. Sometimes it's dollar amount, sometimes it's credibility. But again, it, it's always more expensive. You know, let's dig deeper into you know how best practices and how you should actually manage servicing and refunds on these contracts. You know, you've said already the, the importance of a system of record and having a good process in place. Any other sort of what are sort of the, the key building blocks that you guys try to provide your clients or what what should be in place? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we hit on it. Single most important one system of record. Right. You got to be able to tell the story. But within that system of record, you got to have the ability to facilitate the process in a in the most automated manner that is possible. Right. The entire point of this, if a lender is taking this on, like I said, you don't want to be adding a lot of people to your operations team to be clicking buttons and, and pulling data down and things like that. No, you want to automate as much as you possibly can. So with our system, that was the approach we took. Right. So you, you leverage an AI tool like Informed. You pull down all of this data, you automate it into LCT refund control. LCT refund control validates the information, automatically sends off the cancellations to the dealers and the providers, queues it up for the refund quote, which we can get a myriad of different ways. A lot of it being API portals and things like that. So we can get the data very quickly, push those refund quotes back to you. So now the lender has everything they need to make that individual member whole. Of course, state compliance rules, all those things that your compliance team wants you to manage to and track to can be automatically applied. So you can identify those outliers, have those controls on top and manage to it. So again, automate, automate, automate. Uh, this is something that can be automated. Uh, there is a manual component to it. Of course, you got to manage compliance. What do you do with your outliers? Someone has to make a decision. But again, that is what we bring to the table, right? We want to help you obviously stay compliant, but we also want to help you transform the, the business operations efficiency side of it. So, so there are thousands and thousands of different types of contracts. Mm -hmm. um, how do you manage all the different types? Um, how does that process work? You know, when you think about it, the data comes from the lender, right? So the lender has all these contracts in their you know imaging system, wherever they're you know storing those, those documents. When they have those payoffs, they're pulling down those contracts or pulling down that data. Be surprised a lot of lenders have not historically really been tracking some of the key points of data they need right this is kind of newer in the market they haven't historically had a need for it so they're pulling down that data we you know at lct obviously have partnered with informed to leverage the technology to automate that and use your ai extraction capabilities and pull that data out of those contracts and then fill it back into the system um, outside of that the lender is either pulling the data down manually physically looking at it um, or they're doing those those screen scraping, something like that on their end. But uh, the, the the actual lender provides us the data. And then from there, we can take it the rest of the way. Do you have any sort of insights into how quickly 
uh, your processes improve the response times or get consumer feedback? Because I imagine that mm -hmm. a good experience for a consumer is ultimately a good brand opportunity for the lender. So I'm just curious from your perspective, how your product works in terms of improving that customer experience. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, listen, no, no consumer, no borrower is upset when they get a check from the lender. <laughs> it's in a timely manner, right? Um, yeah. I mean, you know, what our technology essentially enables to do is, is to instantaneously send those cancellations same day. Our gap run rate right now for gap refund quotes is like three days, three business days. So we're getting this data exponentially wow. quick. So, you know, you as a lender, you know, if you look about it, look at it and think about the timelines, right? The CFPB, about 60 days is what they consider reasonable. A lot of states have 60 days, you know, some might be a little shorter. You're getting the data you need well ahead of those timelines to make that consumer whole. So you're staying compliant. You've made this as efficient as it possibly can be. It is a brand opportunity for lenders. If you just look at it, thank you, Mr. or Ms. Customer. We've proactively canceled this product. Here's a, you know, come get a credit card, come get a mortgage with us, right? We took such great care of you. You know, it's, it is an advertising uh, opportunity as well. They, you paid us good, so come on back, <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. So, so hey, you know, yeah, we talked huge. a little bit about the, um, just the landscape today with the FTC um, getting involved and uh, in terms of enforcement actions and the CPB also uh, being aggressive and looks like it's going to be going on for foreseeable future. Mm -hmm. um, let's talk about other stuff on the horizon. One thing that's come out quite recently that I'm sure is on a lot of folks top of mind is the FTC cars rule. And I just wanted to sort of touch base with you on that. Uh, for those who don't know, the cars rule, the full name um, is combating auto retail scams. And uh, the nominal or the, the stated purpose of the rule is to bring more truth and transparency to car buying and leasing process uh, by uh, making clear that certain types of practices, which I think we're already aware are unfair, are unfair. For example, bait and switch, hidden charges, um, other types of uh, uh, tactics that um, affect consumers. I think the bottom line is all about transparency. So I guess the first sense is, you know, maybe you could describe for us, you know, some of the basic facts about the rule, you know, like who does it cover and what it's going to affect and basic penalties. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, this is newer in the market. It's definitely more recent. Um, there's a lot of questions I think everybody has and, and how this will actually play out. But, you know, it definitely covers those covered vehicle, uh, cover motor vehicle dealers, right? So if you're a you're a, a, an auto dealer in the country, you're licensed to sell motor vehicles. This is going to impact you. This is going to be something that you absolutely are going to have to take seriously. Um, you do not want the FTC on your case. So you're going to need to be well-versed and definitely consult with your legal counsels and how it'll, how it'll impact you for sure. You know, one thing that I thought was quite interesting was this notion of, I think there's somewhere in the rule that you can't sell um, services that don't have value, which I right. thought was an interesting concept because that's not a static concept. That's a concept right. that will change over time depending on how much you own your car, how long you've had your car, what type of services you purchase. So I'm wondering from your perspective, that seems to me like a really significant um, element because it means that people mm -hmm. have to read and monitor over time their contracts. I'm curious, is your read yeah. similar to mine or do you have a different perspective on that? That seems a big deal to me. 
No, yeah, I, I, I have the same read. I think value, so kind of value is kind of like beauty and that's in the eye of the beholder. Now, the example that the FTC gave in the cars rule is like, hey, listen, like you sold them nitrogen filled tires, but it has no more nitrogen in it than what the air has, right? It's like 78% nitrogen, right? Well, that's not a product of no value. That's actually full on just lying and deception, right? It's, it's not a conversation of value. And so, you know, me personally, you know, I've never really seen a lot of value in things like paint protection, paint, you know, those paint, you know, appearance packages, but there's a lot of people that do. So who and how do we navigate what is a value, what is not, uh, is going to be something we're going to have to kind of stay tuned on for sure, because it's, it's going to be something that we'll have to see how it plays out. You know, that's really a great point, Tyler, because we at Informed have done some research on value added products and, um, mm -hmm. Uh, voluntary protection products, we found, for example, that older people are more likely to buy some of these products. In some ways, it makes yeah. sense because, hey, I you know, decided that I'm at a point in my life where I just don't want to deal with the hassle. I don't want to go with the mechanic right. and worry about negotiating price. I just want to know it's covered. And so there's a certain peace of mind that some consumers are going to find valuable that others won't. And so, you know, how do mm -hmm. you manage that? Yeah. And then that's, you know, that comes back to now, you know, like dealership processes, right? Which I think is kind of also a, a part of this, this, this rule, like how are dealers disclosing these products? What are they telling the actual consumer and the borrower? You know, how do these actually translate into those, those tangible benefits uh, for that individual consumer? Cause you're right. Like you may get to a point in your life where you say, listen, give it all to me, right? Give it all to me. I don't want to have to worry about this vehicle at all. And then other people may say, you're out of your mind. I'm not buying a single thing, right? There's no value in it. So again, you know, how dealers navigate this, what I would say is disclose, disclose, disclose. Talk about the benefit of it. Look, it's going to replace your tires. It's going to do this. It's going to pay off the loan. It's going to do what it like. Be very clear about what that benefit is um, to keep yourself out of that, that hot water. Yeah, I'd also like to touch basically on this issue of who's responsible. So when you think about certain things like gap, it's my understanding that even mm -hmm. though there may be some places where the lender isn't technically responsible, a lot of national lenders from a, a reputational perspective had said, hey, we're just going to cover it and we're going to seek reimbursement. So I guess the question for you is, you know, based on your experience, based on talking to lenders, what's their sense of the CARS rules? Are they thinking this is a dealer problem and we're just going to let them watch it? Or it, mm -hmm. if it's affecting... Um, the loan product that I'm offering, it's my problem as well. What's your perspective on that? Yeah, I, I mean, I think, you know, I think the lenders are still looking at this and assessing it and, and trying to answer that question themselves. <laughs> like, hey, what, how is this going to impact us? What I will say is that anytime you're engaged in business, you have a business partner that you're relying upon as a major part of your process. What happens to them is going to impact you in some way. Um, this CARS rule going into effect is going to impact the lenders in some way. Uh, what that is, probably TBD on that. But, you know, as the dealers, you know, if you just think about it again, logically, if the dealers are incurring a lot more cost, right, to do this, which is kind of one of the big complaints, right? The record, the, you know, recording, you know, costs and keeping all this documentation and doing all this extra stuff, it's going to add, you know, costs to our, our process. You know, dealers make, they're in the business to make a profit. Right, they got to make money. The cost of their processes go up. They now have to sell cars for a little bit more. Absolutely. Pull th the pull through on that for the lender is like, well, now maybe we got to think about how we price because the cost of vehicles is always going up. 
How does that impact the consumer base and how do we get deals bought? So again, it, neither of them are in a, a silo off on their own. As things get impressed upon one or the other, it's gonna impact the other in some way, shape or form. Now, with not surprisingly, I think there's been some recent developments with respect to the cars. Well, maybe um, Tyler, you can update us on the latest yeah. litigation. Yeah, I mean, listen, if you're not litigating something like this, you're not doing your job, right? At some at some juncture. But, um, you know, the rule is set to go into effect July 30th, 2024. There has been a, a motion to stay uh, that date uh, filed by, I believe it's NADA and the TADA, um, Texas Association of, of Automobile Dealers here in Texas, uh, taken up by the Fifth Circuit. Uh, don't, you know, they, they've requested that the court comment on it before the end of March 30th. Like, please get us <laughs> some, like, let us know if this stay is going to go through. Uh, but really their their complaint is, listen, this is going to cost us a lot of money to quickly implement. And it, it, they have a whole lot of other issues with it as well as it should. So, um, yeah, whether or not that rule goes into effect July 30th, I would say be ready for it to go in effect in either way. So that way, if it does, you're ready to go. But yeah, stay tuned again. Stay tuned. We'll see what happens. Well, and just to ask, I mean, one of the things I think that we've been talking about through this entire conversation is how getting good systems in place protects you mm -hmm. from uh, CFPB enforcement actions, FTC enforcement actions, from new rules that come on board. So it sounds to me like for smart companies, regardless, they should stay the course and put the right processes in place. So I'm just curious, my, my perspective as a compliance officer is, you know, there's always noise from the regulatory front, but the key is to keep your eye on the ball and to make sure that you're not harming consumers. So I'm just curious if you have a view from the front lines about how folks should approach this. That's that's absolutely right. I mean, there's there's noise and then there's signals and you got to pay attention to the signals and the things that are actually going to really come up and, and impact your op your operations. I, I definitely believe in my advice to lenders in the short term right now, especially with these product add ons and, and ancillary cancellations is take a, a much more conservative approach right implement those kind of uniform processes make sure you're going above and beyond because this is a hot button issue you're going to have to address it and you know they're coming in and digging into it so um you know definitely i i am a, in favor of the conservative approach uh when it comes to this and definitely that means you're going to be more proactive in the systems that you're leveraging and trying to find those ways to streamline the process for the business ops team you don't want to come in and say, guys, we got to manage all this stuff from a compliance perspective and business ops is like, you just literally tripled our workload, <laughs> right? With all these things you're asking of us. And at the same time, we do need to work with business ops and the loan servicing team to make sure we're doing things the right way. So it takes both parties, but yeah, proactive conservative approaches is, is kind of my view. Tyler, you've been an absolutely fantastic guest. We always leave our guests with the opportunity, but there's something we left out that we didn't give you a chance to say or bring up. Um, is there anything we missed? No, I mean, this, this was a great conversation, Tom, you know, definitely thank you for, for having me on, you know, for the lenders, anyone out there that has additional questions, you know, obviously Tom and I are available, happy to answer any of them anytime. Uh, you can reach me, uh, T Gray at lct1.com. Hey, all thank you very much for listening and remember to stay informed.